Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the college football betting preview for week 12. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. I finally hit a Mac bet last night, and uh, I don't know how. <laughs> it was the most miraculous bet ever. Yeah, it, uh, I'm back from Vegas and refreshed and happy to see that Miami of Ohio can stop scoring for me so I can hit an under 51 against Bowling Green. Bowling Green, most pathetic offensive performance I've seen in a long time. Yeah, Miami of Ohio, their offense actually woke up, but they were getting benefiting from more turnovers. I mean, the team is just not good. The Mac is crazy. I bet on Akron again, and it went as <laughs> you might expect. Uh, for those that listen to our morning Saturday morning show at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, I do have a little surprise, and it might be a clown mask that I'll be wearing. Um but Akron becomes the first team ever to start a season 0-10 against the spread. But yeah, I was happy to see that no one else scored in that game. I turned it off. I was like, there's no way this is going under. Um, and then I would pull up the action app, and then I would say, all right, wait, still no score, still no score. And I wouldn't turn it on uh, out of just superstition. Um, so that was one thing that went right last night. I had so unlucky. And I had one of those unlucky college basketball nights, and there'll be many of those. And lucky, just last-minute random variants. So it was nice to have that one go my way. I think it's my first Mac bet I've hit all year. But enough about the Mac. Nobody cares about the Mac unless it's Tuesday or Wednesday and you're listening to this on a uh, if you're listening live, it's Thursday or on our podcast, it's Friday. Um, And uh, we have a beautiful college football slate here coming up on Saturday. We'll go through conference by conference as we always do. We'll touch on our Moneyline underdogs. We finally hit two last week. It's a, a miracle. What Thanks Western Kentucky and LSU for getting it done. Colin, you don't have to talk about your hogs this week. Uh, they can't lose. <laughs> I don't. At least I don't think so. We'll get to our favorite favorites and we'll also talk about Friday Night Lights later as well. Um, but let's talk college football playoff. I know we talked about this on a live show we did on Tuesday night, but do you really think that the, the committee is just enabling Alabama to get in here, putting them at five uh, to to backdoor and, and get in at the last minute. Is that what they're doing by putting them five? 
I mean, you have to look at who could possibly hop them and what their strength of schedule is the rest of the way because it's going to come into play, right? So Oklahoma pushed all the way down to 10th. They're still going to get Baylor, possibly twice. But, you know, how far is Baylor going to fall after OU beats them if they potentially beat them? Uh, I believe, you know, Iowa State's up there. So they've, they've got some teams in the top 25 that Oklahoma's going to be able to make up some ground. Uh, but, I mean, you look at the Pac-12, and I hate to say this because – I have, I have a lot of Utah futures, right? And, and I kind of want to see the Pac-12 get into the playoff discussion again. It's just Oregon and Utah. And if the, if the committee values uh, either of those teams beating each other in the Pac-12 championship game, then they should hop Alabama. I mean, who's Alabama beaten, right? I mean, I, I don't think Alabama is going to get through Auburn. Uh, but I really hope we're not in a scenario where a one-loss Alabama with basically a victory over Auburn is the only thing they have a leg to stand on to try to get into the playoff. Yeah, I mean, basically what I think it comes down to is, you know, if you assume Clemson wins out, they're in. Uh, you assume that Ohio State wins out, they're in. And LSU, they can afford one one more loss, I think. But let's just assume those three teams are in. So then it comes down to, does Georgia win the SEC championship? And, right. and they have to win out also. And we'll get to the Georgia-Auburn game this weekend. So if they do that, I think Georgia takes that last spot and LSU also gets in. If not, if LSU wins the SEC championship game, it comes down to Alabama if they win out with one loss or, you know, Oklahoma and or the Pac-12 champion with one loss. Um, do Who do you take in that in that case? A 12 and one conference champion from the Pac-12 or Big 12 or Alabama who didn't make it to the conference champion and just has that Auburn win. So it should be interesting. And if that happens, I mean, if you're just left with those three spots and you have two conference champions and Alabama, oh, boy. There's going to be uh, some heated people, but we'll have much more on that. We'll have an article every week on the actionnetwork.com. Before we get into the games, I really hope Alabama doesn't make the playoff because you and I both know the SEC team that doesn't make the college football playoff that goes to the Sugar Bowl is the hammer spot of the year to fade. Yeah, I remember Oklahoma just rolling Alabama. Um, when was that? Five years ago? And uh, yeah, that was beautiful. Um, but yeah, I agree in Texas last year against uh, Georgia. Um, all right, let's get into the marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 12. There's two, I think, main games uh, that I would consider marquee this weekend. Those are between Oklahoma Baylor and Georgia Auburn. These are playoff elimination games uh, because you could make, you know, if Georgia loses, they're out. If Auburn loses, they're obviously done too because you could make an outside case that maybe Auburn I don't think uh-huh. so, but obviously if they lose, they're out. So that's a playoff elimination game, and uh, so is Oklahoma-Baylor. I mean, Baylor's sitting at 13. They're going to need a ton of help to get there, um, but they need to win out to even have a prayer. And if Oklahoma loses this to drop their second, they are completely done. Um, and then it's really between the Pac-12 champion Alabama or does Georgia win the SEC. Let's start with Oklahoma-Baylor. Um, look, I haven't been a, a believer in this. I love Matt Rule, but I haven't been a believer in this Baylor team as you know, a top seven or eight team all year and there's a reason for that you know i see some potential weaknesses in their past defense i mean they don't give up big plays i I do have to say that but you can efficiently move the ball against them Uh, but if you look at some of the results they had two lucky overtime wins i mean i'm still in shock that i lost that tcu game last week when their joke beat baylor's joke kicker you know and a fourth down he made a field goal to force overtime it, it was just a, a mess and they won another overtime game in a controversial call against Texas Tech and then they barely beat Rice so the resume isn't great and then you know Oklahoma lost to Kansas State in convincing fashion and then you know had to survive a two point conversion against Iowa State in fairness to them they were up 21 in that game um and you know Iowa State made a furious comeback 
If you look at the advanced metrics, again, it's Oklahoma. And I, I said this last week. Oklahoma, their defense, again, it's there's some worrying stats. And it's mainly giving up huge explosive plays. And if there's one thing to worry about with Baylor, it's them hitting explosive plays. So I think that Oklahoma is going to be able to move the ball. And they're going to be able to move the ball through the air. You know, they're number one in rushing success, number two in passing success. You know, and Baylor has questions on the offensive line. I think Oklahoma can pressure the quarterback and – I think that they can cause some havoc. Um, it's a really aggressive defense, but they're going to be vulnerable to Baylor big plays, and Baylor's got an opportunity to hit a lot of explosive plays against this Oklahoma team. This line's currently sitting at Oklahoma minus 10. It's, it'll touch 10.5 at some books. I think it's going to hang out around there. What do you see here? All the advanced metrics that you talked about are right spot on. So, I mean, Oklahoma kind of got exposed by Brock Purdy. Uh, the Sooners were cruising at 14. Just at any point in the game, it seemed like they were up by 14, which is exactly where the point spread was. And then under five minutes left, uh, just a blitz. It was an Iowa State explosive pass for 33 yards for a TD, an interception later, and then we got another TD, and we're going for a two-point conversion to you know knock Oklahoma out of the national picture. You know, and and that seems to be how to attack Oklahoma. You know, make Jalen Hurts uncomfortable. Uh, OU had plenty of passes defense, but they didn't have any sacks. And they only had two and a half tackles for loss. So they weren't getting into the backfield whatsoever. And the thing is, is Alex Grinch kind of built this defense upon calling it the speed D, you know, about upon effort. It's all about effort. It's not about scheme. And I'm wondering where the effort is here because there's been a couple games where OU has not just been able to lock it down and keep teams from coming back. Uh, you know, and it's a unit that's 19th in sack rate. So where has this Oklahoma effort been on the defensive side of the ball? And, you know, the Oklahoma offense needs to quit putting these teams in position to expose the defense. So... You know, Baylor, like we, you said, they have serious rush explosiveness advantage in this game. That's something Iowa State didn't have. They're not that good on the, on the ground as far as, you know, losing David Montgomery. They just don't have a rushing attack. It's all Brock Purdy. Baylor's 16th and runs over 20 yards. OU's defense is outside the top 100 and allowing gains over uh, 20 yards on the ground. Uh, and Jalen Hurst just hasn't handled pressure well this season at all. And Baylor's 21st in sack rate. So for me, you know, I think the number's spot on. I made it 9.9. Uh, I'm looking under in this game because it seems like if the teams are going to have success it's going to be on the ground so generally that eat a bunch of clock uh, I do have it projected just a little bit I think exactly just a point or two below the 68 that it's currently at but you know a Baylor under uh, this offense this Baylor offense has just been atrocious you know I mean this is West Virginia game they were limited in explosive plays uh, that was Halloween night uh, they had you know had a field goal there to end that game and then last week somehow TCU Baylor goes over, but there were no touchdowns in regulation. One of the worst overs I've, I've ever seen in my entire life. So I don't trust the Baylor offense. I do trust their defense. So I actually am probably going to look under in this game, but I can't trust my money on OU right now. I mean, if they're if they're not have any effort on defense, which is what the scheme is based upon, I can't back OU right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I have them in a money line parlay with a game that we'll get to later. I think that they're going to win this game. I mean, I make them over a 10-point favorite. And I think that the, where they'll win this game is up front with their defensive line. Baylor offensive line has major question marks. That was the unit that had the most questions coming into the season. They're 103rd in sack rate, and you mentioned Oklahoma's D's top 20. And in stuff rate, they're outside the top 90 in Oklahoma is number five in the country. So they're going to get some third and one, fourth and one stops. And I think that they're going to get to Brewer, um, you know, have get a couple sacks, maybe cause a fumble, uh, get him in third and long situations. And I, I think ultimately that's the difference. But Baylor will make this interesting because they're going to hit explosive plays against the Oklahoma defense. It's 127th defending rush explosiveness and 87th in pass explosiveness. It's an aggressive D, and they're, you know, they, you can get them on the back end. Um, all right, let's talk about the other 
marquee game on Saturday, and it's the SEC showdown uh, between Georgia and Auburn. Auburn finally gets one of these games at home. It feels like they're always on the road for these games. This is the 3:30 CBS game, um, so you know all eyes will be on it. If you look at this Georgia offense and defense, every time I see them, and by the way, they really haven't played anybody this year i mean they beat florida there was a controversial call in that game they hung around you know and they ended up winning by 7 24 17 but other than that you know they beat arkansas state notre dame at home by six murray state vanderbilt tennessee they lost to south carolina they beat kentucky 21 nothing they beat missouri without kelly bryant their top receiver and what i keep coming back to is they're just really really good and really really solid but they don't do anything explosive on either side of the ball, right? So there's no explosiveness at all on this offense and there's no havoc on the defense. They just, you know, their, their havoc, I think is what their top 40 or something, but this isn't a, your typical Georgia defense with a Roquan Smith or a star safety. That's going to make a huge play. And we've been saying that all year. Meanwhile, this Auburn team is really solid. They are, they're also, you know, struggling in the passing game. They don't have much explosiveness in the passing game. But I think Bo Nix is obviously it's off of a bye. He's going to be more comfortable at home. You know, he's more seasoned now. He's got a lot of games under his belt. And, you know, Gus with two weeks to prepare here, I think he's going to cook up some things and hit some explosive plays. Because I think this Auburn defense is just as good as the Georgia defense. Just as good. The Georgia offense, their offensive line is the best in the nation. But all you could argue Auburn's defensive line is as well. The Georgia offense overall is probably a little better, you know, more seasoned quarterback. Bo Nix season in full effect. But if Auburn could just cook up, you know, a couple trick plays, a couple explosive plays that, you know, Gus is going to come with, I think that Auburn can come out and hit this Georgia team in the mouth with a couple big plays. I'm looking at Auburn first half um, here because this Georgia team, you just hit a couple big plays and they're not built to come back and they're not going to, you know, hit. 80-yard touchdowns. They're, they're, they're just grinding. Now, they're really solid everywhere you look um, outside of just explosiveness and big plays on defense. Uh, this line is floating between Georgia minus 2.5 and, and minus 3. Um, what do you see here? Yeah, I think Auburn first half, actually, money line is actually not a bad play here because of the – I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you're going to hear me harp and bitch about this, is the conservative play-calling nature of Georgia in the first half. Uh, you know, I know Coley's their new offensive coordinator. Uh, Cheney moved on to Tennessee. That was, you know, pretty much a Kirby Smart move. He wanted some, you know, difference in play-calling. But it, it hasn't been – really what I thought it was going to be coming into the season. I know that there were problems with finding targets for Jake Fromm, but, I mean, Georgia in the first half has been a completely different team than what we've seen in the second half. So starting, you know, Malzahn's 11 in a lifetime in a bye week in his head coaching career. That's something to think of. I mean, we're not big trends players or anything, but, I mean, Malzahn proves that with extra time, he can't show up. I think back to that Music City Bowl when he had motivation and he was pissed off and the fan base wanted him to get the hell out of town. He shows up to the Music City Bowl and runs Purdue up a flagpole. So uh, when Malzahn's got time and he's motivated, things happen. Kirby Smart's 5-2 and two in his lifetime as a coordinator and a head coach going up against a Malzahn offense. Uh, if you're going to look at little small sample sets like that. Uh, the Auburn players are highly motivated for this game. 
Uh, Georgia has a wide receiver. I think he's number two in in, uh, in receptions on the team. Uh, George Pickens. He was a commit to Auburn for 18 months. He switched to Georgia on signing day. Uh, Malson even went on record and, and mentioned about you know a player that switches on the day of signing day. Uh, he was pretty upset about it. And some of the players had made friends with Pickens, and they and they were friends with him too, and they were pretty burned by it. So I think Auburn's going to be hella fired up for this game. Uh, a little bit, maybe more than Georgia, but uh, you know, Georgia health-wise is is really kind of where I've been watching all this week. I, I thought that I would get a play in on the app and get some money down uh, on some sides on this game, but I mean, when the offensive line loses three players in the middle of the game to injury, uh, when they lose their you know one of the top centers in the country and Trey Hill to injury, and Lawrence Cager, who's the best target on the outside, uh, he also got hurt in the game. They were all cleared to practice this week. They all did practice this week, uh, but I'm still a little nervous because they all left the game. Uh, you know, got ankles going on with offensive linemen. So it's definitely something to watch for. And really that leads into what you said. These defenses are awesome, right? I mean, each defense has a better advanced stat than the opposing offense. There is anything I can say about passing success or rushing success. The defense is better. And that goes for both sides. So going through advanced box scores, I get back to what I first started with. Auburn's fourth quarter success rate has been below the national average. While Kirby Smart, since 2017, we've always known that like his third quarter S&P Plus rank in 2017 was like best in the nation. Top five on defense, like number one on offense. And that just hasn't changed. Like every year he has been a second half head coach. He's always been one of the best. And it kind of leads into this year. Conservative play calling in the first half. He opens it up in the second half. So for me... This is a game where I don't want to take any game, uh, take any position pregame. I kind of want to go with the flow of it. I expect Georgia to start slow and conservative. I don't expect there to be a lot of points in the first quarter. I'll be looking for an over end game once the time comes right. Uh, but I think forty is a little bit too high right now. And then, then again, that's a total that's just so slim. Where a Gus Malzahn trick play, which you know he's going to run, and a special teams, which Georgia is excellent at re- at re- returning punts, and that forty's toast if you take the under. So I'm not real comfortable doing that but i am going to look for a live over maybe try to get plus three on both sides but i just don't think i'm going to touch the side because you and i both have big georgia futures this is a must win for those georgia futures so i'm happier just to let the game be conservative in the first half and take a over sometime live it's odd because i think that auburn has more big play potential on their defense and there i think by the end of the season their havoc will be more than georgia but georgia has a more seasoned quarterback right who's not uh as you know he's not going to make He's not as likely to make a mistake as Bo Nix would. Bo Nix season in full effect. But I did show you how good the Auburn defense is. LSU's averaging 46 points per game, and uh, that is what they got on the dot against Alabama. At Alabama. Well, LSU, um, when they played Auburn at home, only scored 23 points. Now, I know they had 500 yards, but they had a ton of plays in that game. It was an odd game. It was 23-20. The most important thing there is Auburn held LSU to 5.8 yards per play. That is significantly below their season average. Um, you know, for comparison against Alabama, LSU, again, this is on the road, LSU averaged 7.1 yards per play. So almost a, a yard and a half more than they did against Auburn. The Auburn defense is legit. So, yeah, I think I'm going to be on Auburn in some form or fashion. I think this, look, I have Georgia Futures. I'd love for them to win out. But this team is vulnerable um, once against an elite team. Just lacking explosiveness and big plays on defense, it's going to come back to bite them once they turn it over and then, you know, an offense like Auburn has something cooked up and hits a couple explosive plays. Uh, I think it's going to be the death of them. 
because they're just they're 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 not blowing teams out. And look, it cost them against South Carolina. So uh, I think Auburn finds a way to pull it out. All right, let's go conference by conference and go through. We'll pick out a couple games that we like. Let's start in the AAC. Do you want to hit Notre Dame Navy now or wait till the independence? Uh- no, no, we'll just go ahead and say Notre Dame Navy now is like, you know, I had a piece out earlier this week. Navy was the very, I was at Circus Sports at the desk at the Golden Gate downtown in Las Vegas. It hadn't been put out, it hadn't been tweeted out that the numbers were available, uh, but they were nice enough to print them out and come bring them to me and say, Colin, here you go. We know why you're here. And I mean, everybody in the, in the book was there for the NFL and I'm in there with a laptop and my my uh, numbers, my, my projections and everything and my totals. And uh, they were nice enough. Shout out to Jeffrey Benson for bringing those over to me and saying, here you go, if you're ready to go. And uh, Navy plus 11 is the first one that poked out to me. And I got up immediately and went to the counter and threw a dime over. had no problems with it. Navy is extremely underrated on defense and in the trench. I mean, triple option this, Malcolm Perry that. I mean, Malcolm Perry was one of our favorite things to talk about two years ago, right? Malcolm Perry was the greatest thing ever. And then he let us down last year. And now he's back, not only just throwing the ball, running the ball. Navy is everything that we can expect them to be as a dynamic offense. But really, the defense is, is not getting enough credit for how great they've been in the trench. All of the advanced stats show it. You know, I've got a power rated down, so I definitely like Navy in the spot. And if you want to get it, I think now's the time to get it because this is a prime opportunity for Navy to really make a statement. Already ranked in the college football playoff rankings. I mean, these uh, Navy looks fantastic. I think they might be the best team in the AAC. Uh, and I think they're going to take a major jump here. I think they could beat Notre Dame and they would take a major jump. And even there could be some talking heads about Navy playing in the Cotton Bowl, uh, which would be just an awesome thing to see. Yeah, the one thing that gives me pause is, look, Navy's defense has been, it's probably the most improved unit in the country. Um, and they had a new coordinator there. They used to play bend, don't break. Now they're playing a very aggressive style of defense. Um, but the one thing that gives me pause, I mean, if you do look at Navy's schedule, they've played a bunch of clowns. And, you know, when they've played a bunch of clowns, they've shut them down. Um, you know, so right. my concern is their pass defense. I do think that they're going to be able to move the ball on the ground. And uh, a triple option team catching over a touchdown is always intriguing to me. But and, and, you know, don't don't sleep on the loss of Julian Aquara for Notre Dame. That hurts uh, on their defensive line. I do want to still try and dig in is into is Notre Dame going to be able to just hit a ton of explosive plays down the field? Because that's the one thing that I still don't believe in with this Navy team, because the two teams that they played that can hit explosive plays down the field did just that. Secondary is my main concern against the Notre Dame athletes. That is uh, what I need to look into. Navy is number one in the country in red zone touchdown scoring. They get into the 20, they're getting six. Uh, and I mean, that's tremendous if you're trying to look at an over or if you're trying to look at a Navy cover. Uh, they are not settling for field goals ever. And they, I mean, number one in the country is fantastic. All right, let's move on to the AAC and talk uh, Tulane Temple. Uh, this line's risen. It's open to three, three and a half. It's up to six. Uh, over-under is dropping 55.5 to 54.5. We talk about this all the time. Temple just covers. It doesn't matter who's the coach, who's the quarterback, what their stats say. They just always consistently cover. It is crazy. I mean, if you look back the last 15 years, they've been the most profitable dog. Uh, they're a home dog here. Uh, two six and three teams. Um, what are you seeing here between Tulane and Temple? Is there no va- is this line gone up too much? Is there no value on the Owls? Are you going to be tweeting Owl gifts uh, for a noon kick again? I mean, I think the line's gone up too much, and I'm supposed to back Temple here because if you look at Tulane history, you know, it shows that they're not that great on the road uh, winning games, and Temple's excellent at home, especially in a day game like this. But I think there's just too much in the advanced stats that kind of throw me in Tulane's way. I mean, uh, you know, Tulane's offense is top 10 in so many offensive categories where Temple's D is just 
ranking inside the top 25. Uh, I mean, Justin McMillan is a force this year. Uh, you look at them, they're 11th in rushing success rate. Uh, they're 17th in rushing explosiveness. And they're 32nd and passing success and that's all mcmillan i mean he's a true dual threat uh and if you look at temple you know they've had problems against teams that you know have, have been able to get it down the field the teams that have been able to throw it down the field smu memphis central florida they all had big success in the air against temple and were able to beat them uh i think the number has gotten too high because of the value of what i projected it at now that it's gone way past my projection of 13 i'm going to come around on the other side and hopefully i can middle donovan jennings which is their left tackle is a, a really important piece. And, with, you know, you saw as soon as he went out against uh, Temple, Temple just abused him. So him being back is huge. All right, let's move on to the ACC. Uh, we have Clemson, whoo, uh, 34 and a half, 34 point favorites um, against Wake Forest. And, you know, one of the big, you know, the big pieces of news here with Wake Forest, who cannot run the ball worth a lick, and they're not going to be able to run the ball against Clemson. Um, is, you know, Scotty Washington is questionable, but they lost their star receiver, Surratt, for the year. So now their passing offense could be potentially limited. What are you seeing here in this matchup? Yeah, I mean, this number is overinflated, of course. It's like, you know, you have to pay a Clemson tax every time you want to play them. Uh, You know, and I have the total set at 66, so possible over. uh, But the question is, is what will Wake's passing attack be able to do against Clemson's defense? Clemson's third in defensive passing success rate. Uh, So this is a great test, Uh, you know, as great as Clemson can get out of the ACC as far as going up against a a successful passing attack. Uh, You know, and Wake is 22nd in passing success, and they're 10th in sack rate allowed. So they're not allowing anybody to get to the quarterback. Wake's able to throw the ball down the field, so it'll be a good test for Clemson's defense. This is another great matchup for Trevor Lawrence to get deep. Wake is 107th in pass explosiveness allowed. Uh, Trevor's going to be able to get uh, you know as many throwing TDs as he wants before he takes a seat. So I'm looking for an over here. But it really depends on Wake's passing success. That's the decision between the now, the time we're recording, until when kickoff happens. Do I think that Wake can get some points up on the board throwing the ball against this Clemson defense? This Clemson defense, I, I, I love them more than I think any other defense in the nation. And I'm going to be backing these guys in the college football playoff. I'm almost 100% sure. So uh, if I think Wake can get some points up, that's the reason I'm taking over. I would err on the side of caution. I mean, I would – it's tough with Wake Forest. I mean, it looks like – I'm looking here. Scotty Washington's actually going to be out. And he has seven touchdowns. He's second on the team. First on the team is Surratt, who's out for the year. So they're not going to have their top two receivers. And Surratt is one of five receivers in the country with over 1,000 receiving yards. So they don't have both of them. They can't run it. Um, It could be a long day for Wake Forest. And what we saw last week, Dabo apparently just wants wants to run up the score now. Against NC State, you know, running hurry up to get an extra touchdown in. That was brutal. RIP anyone who bet that uh, second half under. I'm probably back on the two, but this is just a joke, their schedule. Another 34 and a half point favorite. All right, elsewhere in the ACC, again, it's really interesting to me, and it just smells right, is Georgia Tech catching six. And one, of, I have to give a lot of credit to Jeff Collins, right? So he came in in probably the toughest chore of any college football coach I've seen in a long, long time. And that's transitioning a team with from an op, triple option to a spread attack with all triple option personnel. They're, they're not suited to this spread offense. It was ugly early on. They lost to the Citadel. They scored two points versus Temple. But they've been playing better lately. And obviously, they're getting used to this new scheme. And they're still fighting um, for Jeff Collins, which is a lot of credit to him. Um, you know, look, they won at Miami. There was a bunch of flukes, but they still won at Miami. We've seen what Miami's done the past two weeks. 
And then last week, they played UVA really tough. They lost 33-28 in Charlottesville. So this team is still fighting. And, you know, they had a quarterback change. And, you know, they they went with this kid, uh, Graham, who actually is, I think, committed to or was at Virginia Tech at one point. Um, and then, you know, they're averaging, I think, 22, 23 points with him. We're averaging only 13 without before he took over the starting job. So their offense is getting a little better. Their defense is still fighting. Their offense is still very limited. And Vautech's also playing a lot better of late as well. And they control their own destiny in the uh-huh. ACC Coastal. That's insane. Vautech, um, <laughs> this team that we were all laughing at, getting ran out of the building against Duke at home earlier this year. The ACC is crazy. Um, number one, what do you make Clemson Vautech in the ACC Championship? If that happens, number two, what do you think of this game? What is it like to have a co- have two wins and have every single player completely focused, committed, executing, and playing hard? I don't know what that's like because I have a two-win team myself. That's the difference between Georgia Tech and Arkansas right now. So these guys at Georgia Tech are responding to Jeff Collins. They're playing as hard as they can. It's one of the biggest schematic transitions that a team could ever go through on both sides of the ball. So Georgia Tech's going to be good. I don't know if we hit their over team total over next year. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's definitely something we're going to keep our eyes on, especially through spring practice. But in this game, I mean, Virginia Tech's on a bit of a heater themselves. They, they've covered four of their last five. They limited Jamie Newton, the quarterback for, for Wake, to just a few explosive passes uh, and a Hokies victory there. And so, you know, Georgia Tech is still pretty terrible through the air. You can pinpoint the fact they're going to run the ball. Uh, you know, and they're not even a very successful running group. Uh, but they have been able to break off a couple of explosive plays. Uh, my number is spot on to right where the market is. So I may throw Virginia Tech in a couple of money line parlays. I'm not sure if Georgia Tech has it in them to actually win the game, although they have thrown up an upset this year. If I had to put Virginia Tech, my favorite thing here, against Clemson, I would have a 31-point spread uh, on a neutral field for the ACC championship game. Oh, my God. Clemson's going to be 31-point favorites every game of the year. Yeah, I think Georgia Tech might pull off a stunner here. Um, it just smells right. That team is still fighting um, and just improving every week. And, and Vatek, I know they, they've always had problems with the triple option. So this isn't a triple option Georgia Tech, but this is a place they generally don't play well, um, and Georgia Tech always seems to get up for. Um, All right, let's move on to the Big 12 and talk Texas-Iowa State. The first thing that jumps out is, you know, Herman is a dog. You always got to talk about it. I think he's 14 14 or 15-3 and against the spread as a dog. And Matt Campbell, who's also great against the spread as a dog, is not that great as a favorite. One thing to keep in mind here, it's tough when you look at Texas. Some of their defensive numbers are really, really ugly, but they are getting healthier on the defensive side, although Jalen Green, uh, one of their starters, is out for the first half for a targeting suspension, which is something to note. Uh, some of their receivers are banged up. It's something to keep an eye on. They're questionable. Um, but this line is hanging right around seven. Iowa State minus seven here. Um, what do you see? Yeah, and I mean, I projected minus 6.7, so it it's pretty much spot on here. But I think that there's one big thing in the advanced stats that really sticks out more than anything. So, you know, Brock Purdy's 11th in passing success rate. Iowa State is able to get the ball through the air. That's kind of been their mission objective this year. And Texas defense is 124th defensively in passing success rate. One of the worst in the nation. I mean, this is something we've known all year. started with LSU. Uh, so I think Texas is going to have some major issues uh, here dealing with Brock Purdy. And the Iowa State, Iowa State defense has been good against the run. I mean, they're 29th in stuff rate. They're top 50 in line yards and then all the other advanced metrics that are on football outsiders. And that's really how you stop Texas. Uh, Kansas State wasn't too successful in that. I know that they got a 14-0 lead, but then the rest of the game was all Texas on the ground. Uh, but Iowa State's good enough uh, in the trench, in the front seven to stop uh, to stop that. So both these teams are great at scoring 
in the red zone, but they rank 98th or worse in opponent red zone scoring percentage. So if you're going to tell me both offenses are going to convert uh, against defenses that can't stop people from scoring, then I think I'm going to take Iowa State, and I like the points in this game. Fair enough. I mean, Iowa State, look, they're five and four and they're a seven point favorite at home against a Texas team that was in the top 10. And we give a top 10 credit to LSU. Um, They have to be one of the best five and four teams, um, especially in the Big 12 that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I think the line is about right, although I would lean towards Texas just because they're getting healthier. I might look at them in the second half when you get green back and they'll see how the game's playing out. I don't see a ton of value either way. Yeah, I think it should be high scoring as well. So from a total perspective, I think it's over or nothing. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Before we move on to the Big Ten, anything you want to mention with uh, Kansas, Oki Light, uh, and or TCU, Texas Tech? I think Can- uh, Oki State, 17-ish point favorite at home against mm-hmm. Kansas. Pray for the Kansas run defense against Oklahoma <laughs> State. And then TCU, I think, opened as a dog and is out to a three-point favorite. Um, what do you see in either one of those games that you want to mention? Yeah, the point spread is right for Kansas, Oklahoma State. I just want to say that if you were following, you know, the Action Network and us back in, you know, back in the spring, I was getting dropping money as much as I could in New Jersey and, and Nevada on over five and a half, over six, over six and a half on Oklahoma State. So this is a monster game if you're uh, holding a Pokes uh, season win total over. So I'd say sit back and enjoy that. I do kind of project this game to go under about ten points under what the current number is. So there may be a play on that. I don't have much on TCU, Texas Tech. This TCU team is just god awful on offense. Every week TCU plays, uh, it's just a struggle. Yep. All right. Let's move on to the Big Ten and let's talk Indiana, Penn State. Penn State is a 14, 14 and a half point favorite at home in Happy Valley against Indiana, who's ranked for the first time since 1993, I believe. They're seven and two. You know, Indiana, I don't think is, you know, is nowhere close to as explosive or potent of a passing offense as Minnesota was. And we saw Minnesota exploit, you know, some you know weaknesses in the Penn State secondary. But Penn State, is, their front seven is still excellent. You still can't run on them. I think they're number one in the, in the country in rushing success rate. But Penix or Penix, I always call him Penix, is out for the year. Peyton Ramsey is now taking over. And the one thing that I keep coming back to is, yeah, Indiana's seven and two. Yes, they're ranked. But who have they beat? And the answer is nobody. I mean, nobody <laughs> at all. I mean, this is your typical Indiana team. I mean, look, this is their, their schedule. They start off the year by beating Ball State, um, and then they beat Eastern Illinois, and then they lost 51 to 10 to Ohio State. Then they beat Connecticut, you know, and then they lost to Sparty, gave up 40. Sparty, you know, then they beat Rutgers, and then they beat Maryland, who's had a backup quarterback in by one possession, and then they beat Nebraska by one possession with a backup quarterback in. Yes, both of them were on the road, and then they beat Northwestern. So their seven wins are nothing against nothing offenses and, and backup quarterbacks. So this defense, uh, I still think, is very, very vulnerable against elite offenses. Penn State loves blowing out teams that they are better than, and they are clearly better than Indiana. Franklin is an amazing against the spread coach as a favorite. The only question I have here 
you know, it, number one, I wouldn't play it over 14. If it was 14 or dips 13, if I, I was looking at Penn State. But the only question was a terrible spot because Penn State, you know, they had college football playoff hopes and then they were undefeated. And then, you know, they lose last week at Minnesota. So they come back here to play Indiana, you know, and, you know, next week. I mean, then they have I believe they have a you know, the next week. They have Ohio State. They're at Ohio State. So this is Sandwich City. They might be completely flat after losing that game. Come out a little sloppy. That's my main concern here. But I don't think they can compete here. But the spot's bad for Penn State. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way to beat Penn State is to go over the top of the defense. Uh, that's what Minnesota was able to get done. Tanner Morgan was able to throw for 339 yards against them. You know, and, and that's not what Indiana passing game is. Now they're highly successful. Uh, whether it's Phoenix or, or, or Ramsey, they're they're both able to complete a five yard pass better than anybody in the nation. They're 13th in passing success rate, but they're 112th in explosiveness. I, I know the theory was that we think that Penn State has scripted plays. Still feel that that's what happened last week. You know, they were successful. The game started out. Interception, touchdown, field goal, interception. Now, I know it started off with an interception, but they came right back, had a touchdown, they drove down the field, had a field goal, then they had another interception. They were able to score 10 points in the first quarter, and they only scored 16 the rest of the game. This kind of fits into a mold where we think that the first three or four drives are scripted for Sean Clifford, and then the rest of the game is just kind of throw shit against the wall and let's see what sticks. Uh, So I think in this game where Indiana just doesn't have a way to get down the field fast, I think I'll look for a Penn State first half again. Full game number, I think, is right where it should be. All right, let's move on to Michigan, Michigan State. I'm just warning everyone out there. I might have to play Michigan State at 14. Uh, I think they're 10-1 <laughs> against the spread in the last 11 times they've played Michigan um, in this rivalry game. It just feels like this game will be 17-14, 20. It'll be low scoring and close um, in this rivalry game. I mean, Michigan State up 28-3 to against Illinois. I can't win a bet with them. I'm 3-7 and seven on the year in Michigan State games. That includes totals. They torture me every week. But at 14, I'll have to take it. It was Florida there was plus 14, minus 115 earlier, and I didn't take it. But if it gets to a flat 14, I probably will. Over under 44 and a half, it's going to be cold here in Ann Arbor. You know, the Michigan State defense, it's it's excellent still. Their advanced metrics are great. The offense is a nightmare. Um, you know, the Michigan offense is starting to figure it out, but they're still pretty average overall. Uh, Michigan State's due to just get a couple breaks eventually. Um, I, I think I'll have to play it at 14. Um, in this rivalry game, and uh, yeah, after Michigan State's lost four straight from rank to four and five, uh, what do you see here? Yeah, I mean, just on the total alone of forty-four and a half, I mean, a, a, a point spread of fourteen is just too much. And uh, you know, but then I mean, if you just did blind resume and didn't look at the team names, but then if you pull back the curtain, you see Harbaugh's at home and what Michigan State, what happened to them last week against Illinois. Illinois' post-game win expectancy was fourteen percent. They did everything to not win that game. And somehow won that game. I, I that that was one of the craziest outcomes in the fourth quarter that I think I've ever seen. So if you're going to turn around and play Michigan State, uh, I think you will get a 14. It looks like the market is steaming that way. It should touch it there before uh, plenty of math guys, plenty of sharp guys that I've heard from are going to be wanting to back the Spartans when it comes to two touchdowns. So I mean, for me, it's going to be a no play. I just cannot, I cannot get in onto Michigan State and go through this again. I think I've lost too much on them this year. I'll have my clown mask on. Uh, if it gets to 14 <laughs> with Gus calling that game, potentially. Uh, so, you know, you have the Gus factor. Don't make it. That's got to be worth a couple points for the dog. Kidding. But all right, let's talk. We have to mention before we get to Minnesota, Iowa, we have to talk Ohio State Rutgers just very quickly here. 52 oh, and a half God. point favorites. Ohio State's a 52 and a half point road favorite at Rutgers. The funny thing is, is if you look at a chart, you know, you, we have these charts that evolve our advanced stats. You know, the Ohio State side is all green. Offense and defense all the way down, and Rutgers is all red all the way down. So, I mean, obviously, right. Ohio State's going to 
I don't know how you bet this game. <laughs> you know, it's gonna it's gonna come down to like when does Ohio State pull their starters? Does Ohio State, you know, fumble muff a punt and Rutgers gets a fluke touchdown? I mean, when it spreads this high, it's crazy. But the one thing I do want to mention with Ohio State, where there are two weak weak areas, and I mentioned this earlier in the year, it's their offensive line, you know, and and giving up pressure. They're 98th in Sacre. And I'm talking for college football playoff, things to keep in mind. Um, they're 98th in Sacre. And then rush explosiveness. They're still giving up big runs. And so those are the only two things where they're not really elite. Any way you can bet this game? I chuckle at this game because I was with the person, I was with the odds maker at Circa that put this number up, and we had a discussion about what the point spread should be and what the total should be. And I said, listen, I've got a projected 52 and a half, and I think that you've just got to account for Rutgers getting a safety, right? I think the total should be 54 and a half. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm looking at this, and, and you know, Circa opened it up at 55 for the total, 50 and a half for the spread. So, I mean, you're basically this is a yes-no bet on whether Rutgers will score. Uh, I'm not sure that they will. I wouldn't be surprised if they're shut out. They've been shut out by lesser Big Ten teams. I mean, if you're going to bet on the side, I'm guessing a key number is 52. Uh, if you're going to go by divisions of touchdown numbers here. So you would definitely want to get the 53 that's out there. I, I don't I don't know how you bet this. I, I might take an under for fun, you know, but I, I don't know. Other than that, I don't know. I'm not going to touch this. Yeah, no, thank you. All right, let's get to Minnesota, Iowa. Minnesota, obviously, off that huge win, maybe the, one of their biggest wins in program history, at least in the last few decades. Um, they're going to Iowa. I was a three-point favorite here. Uh, I can just tell you, the one thing I learned from Minnesota last week is the, their offense is excellent. We said that. Bateman, Johnson on the outside. Morgan was excellent again at quarterback, completing 90% of his passes. But look, the one thing that I saw is the Minnesota defense is bad. That shows up in some of the advanced metrics. They're 100 outside the, they're 121st in power success rate and 114th in stuff rate. Their secondary is talented. You know they had they had some takeaways last week and they benefited from maybe maybe potential you know calls that went their favor on the pass interference. And I was on Minnesota, but they're you know they they do have good players in that secondary, including Antoine Winfield Jr. But they're up front. They are very vulnerable. So I think Iowa can you know really control the line of scrimmage. When they have the ball, they can pound the rock, control it. I mean, this is such a letdown spot for Minnesota. I mean, I, I was going to win this game. I money line parlayed them with Oklahoma because it could be ugly in a typical Iowa game and they win by two or one. Um, mm-hmm. So I felt more comfortable just throwing them in a money line parlay. Um, what do you see here in Iowa, Minnesota? Yeah, I did the same thing. I money line parlayed Iowa. Uh, if I get around to recording another round robin video tonight, I'm sure Iowa will be what I call a boat anchor, uh, a low favorite that I think absolutely has a shot of winning and, and supporting the rest of the teams in the round robin. As you and I are recording this right now, a couple of the sharper books that you and I know have moved to three and a half. So I think that tells you, you know, exactly where the bigger money. Money's coming in, or at least where the respected money's coming in. You know, Iowa's defensive passing success rate is 22nd. That's just, you know, they're better at limiting explosiveness than Penn State was. And AJ Epidenza is going to have a heck of a time getting to Tanner Morgan. Iowa's first in the country in limiting uh, opponent rush explosiveness. Uh, and Minnesota still has an offensive line sack rate rank of 102nd. So I, I just, there's a lot of things in the advanced stats that you mentioned that just say that Iowa is going to be able to win this game. Uh, And I go back to the fact that we didn't trust Penn State. Minnesota hadn't played anybody. Minnesota had this one huge advantage of explosive passing. They were able to take advantage of Penn State. You know, Iowa here is good. I I wish this game was at night with Kinnick, but it'd probably be uh, bumped up a point. But I took Iowa Moneyline, may continue to do it. This is the biggest hangover in Minnesota program history. They win this game. I actually would be extremely impressed. I'm a little, you know, you know, I, I give them credit for what they did against Penn State at home, 
But you could pick yourself up at a, as a nine and zero team. This team, this this time late in the season, go to a place like Kinnick and win this ball game. I'll really be impressed. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget all the games that Minnesota barely won early in the year. They've been fortunate this year. You know, they were even outgained by Penn State. Um, all right, let's move on to the Conference USA quickly here, and uh, we got to get a shout out for UTEP. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. It's up Minor Nation uh, against UAB. UTEP is catching 17 against UAB and their backup quarterback. Uh, are you back in the minors here? Minor Nation, this is your week. Now, I haven't exactly laid any money yet, but Tyler Johnson is confirmed. He will sit this game. He still has a sprained knee. So you're going to get some extremely inefficient uh, offensive play from UAB. Uh, UAB has lost two straight. They haven't covered against Tennessee and Southern Miss. Tyler Johnson's a huge part of that offense. And a birdie sent me a text earlier this week and said, Bill Clark has been contacted about the Arkansas job. So we don't know exactly, you know, if he's entertaining that or shot it down. I don't know the status of that news. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know where the focus of the UAB team is without their leader, quarterback. And Bill Clark, who I have respect for, is one of the best group of five coaches. Uh, I wonder if it, what's going on up, you know, up in his brain. So, uh, no, it's a, it's a stay away. And you may see a UTEP play come out of me. Oh, boy. Uh, all right. We have to touch on uh, our independent game. We already said Navy. We already talked about Navy, Notre Dame, but we also have UMass. Uh, oh, UMass against Northwestern. I laid it. I laid 39 and a half uh, with Northwestern. I can't believe it. Uh, a team that can barely score 10 points, but I don't care. UMass is this that bad. The line, I think you make it around 40. If I wanted uh-huh. to try and calculate what the line would be, I'd probably make it around 42, but I don't. Come up with a ballpark number. <laughs> add two touchdowns. It's work. It works every week. Add two to three touchdowns. Northwestern should. By the way, UMass is getting absolutely. They're getting their doors blown off every week, and they don't play anybody. They don't play any good defenses. Literally, they played Rutgers and gave up forty-eight, and you know they only scored twenty-one. They played Southern Illinois, gave up forty-five, and only scored twenty. They played Charlotte, only scored seventeen, and gave up fifty-two. They played Coastal Carolina, gave up sixty-two, only scored twenty-eight. These are awful defenses. You know, they held Akron to twenty-nine. Akron scored twenty-nine points. Akron went seventeen quarters on a touchdown recently. You know, they played Florida International and didn't score. They lost forty-four nothing. Florida International has a—I mean, Northwestern has a much better defense than Florida International. La Tech put up sixty-nine on them. Uh, nice. And then Connecticut put up fifty-six on them. So. Look, uh, this is the best defense by far that UMass has played. Northwestern is going to take out all their frustrations. They're uh, Big Ten athletes are going to score every every possession. It's that easy against UMass, and this I don't see UMass scoring. Uh, I really don't. I think it's either forty nine or fifty six nothing Northwestern. You just fade this UMass team, and unless there's flukes, they're not scoring. I will say the, the total of 58, opener of 58, has trickled down to 56. So there is money guessing that UMass is uh, not going to score a point and that Northwestern uh, will at least stay shy of, what, eight touchdowns? Good Lord. It's ridiculous. The only thing UMass does well is they, like, break a couple runs. That's it. That's your only hope. And they don't give up, they don't give up sacks. It's a joke. Everything else, they're 130th in the nation end. It's the worst team we've ever seen. Keep seeing people bet UMass because the line's too high. It's not. We still haven't found the floor for this shitty team. Trucked every week. The only team they've, they've covered against is Akron, who hasn't. who's the first I, team ever to go 0-10 against the spread. Go go check the Action Network power rings. I think we would have Ohio State 74-point favorites on a neutral. Um, all right. got to get Mac talking. I'm not talking about it because I'm not betting this game. Central Michigan, Ball State. <laughs> Tell me something because I don't care. Uh, but huge game for Ball State here. Don't. 
think I'm going to have a play in this. If I do, it's going to be on Ball State. I'm going to leave it at that because it's Mac and we, you know. Flip a coin. Uh, Mountain West Conference, we had two games I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Wyoming, Utah State. Wyoming could have some success moving the ball on the ground. Uh, but you have a column out you can check out on the Action Network uh, app and or actionnetwork.com. Air Force, Colorado State as well uh, is in that column. But I did just want to ask you one question. Look, Air Force is a triple option team laying 10, so I'm intrigued by Colorado State. You know, in this you know rivalry game, you know this game is really important for Colorado State, who's you know been surging out of nowhere lately. And you know, if they're sitting at four wins, so they can still become bowl eligible. But my problem is Colorado State's run D is horrifying. Their D line numbers are not great, and uh, that's mainly what I'm worried about. And then also, you know, on their on the offensive side, their offensive line um, is also you know. There's some questions there as well. So why wouldn't it, why isn't Air Force just going to dominate this in the trenches? And is there something that I'm missing here? I, you know, I, I yeah. think I'm just going to play because I play double digit dogs against service academy teams. But that's the one thing that worries me: the trench play. Yeah, I'm going to point people to the article that uh, I think just got published here within the last hour. It's uh, my, my uh, article of the teams that I'm playing this week, and, and there's a reason to back Colorado State, and the reason why their rush defense has actually improved. They only allowed 107 rushing yards UNLV last week, 91 yards of San Diego State a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they are improving on the ground. Uh, there's some good links in there that point to stories about Mike Bobo, what he's done with his defensive coordinator. Uh, and then my favorite term in the entire article was, we had a come to Jesus meeting with the defensive players. I say that to my sons. All right, let's have a come to Jesus meeting. So when you have one of those meetings, uh, it really kind of turned around what this defense has done. And Colorado State, we know can sling the ball, and that's where you can attack Air Force. Yep, that's a good point. Um, let's move on to the Pac-12 here. We have some big spreads with the two primary teams in the Pac-12. Utah is laying 21, 21 and a half against UCLA at home. Both those teams mm. off of a bye. And Oregon's laying 27 at home to Arizona, which I think is too high. You as well. It's eight points more than what you projected as the ten the action network projection. The thing I worry about though is that doesn't Oregon and Utah need to show out and rock yeah. scores to get to the college football playoff? Yeah, and I think Utah has the ability to do that uh, this weekend, especially, uh, you know, I think they are seeing where they are ranked. I think they're kind of looking into the standings and they realize what they've got to do and how they've got to impress. Uh, they're at home against a UCLA team that uh, is very bad in, uh, you know, power success rate uh, offensively, uh, you know, in havoc allowed. Uh, they have a low ranking, just don't take care of the ball. Uh, there's a lot of red in the chart of UCLA, especially on the defensive side. Uh, they're 123rd in defensive passing success rate. That's against. Utah's offense with Tyler Huntley, he is in the top 10 of passing success rate in all of FBS, and that's where Utah, I think, is just going to be able to put it on them and put it on them fast. As far as Oregon, you mentioned it. This number is way too high. I don't know what we're doing at 27 and a half. I look at Khalil Tatehurt. Uh, are we missing like half the Arizona defense? I'm not sure what's going on here. I projected uh, minus 19. It's up to minus 27 and a half. If you like SP plus projections, they're even at 24, which is well below what the current market number is. So I don't understand what this number is whatsoever. I know it's odds and I know it's late at night, but I can't find the entries. Or I mean, there's, there's a point where the market is just way too much on one team. Uh, and, and, you know, you have to buy. So I'm not sure if I'm going to get involved with Arizona here. But at 28, it's got to be considered. Yeah, the problem is if Oregon does want to run it up, this is the defense is doing it against. The Arizona defense is yeah. horrifying. I mean, they are bottom 10 in the country, in the country, in rushing success rate, passing success rate, havoc, sack rate. They get no pressure they can't cover. I mean, it's bad. So if Herbert wants to run it up here and the Ducks want to put some style points on the Wildcats. They can certainly do so. USC Cal, USC six and a half point favorites against Cal, who actually showed uh, some effort last week. 
Um, Chase Garber's back for Cal. Any lean yeah, here? He's back. He's cleared. That's I mean, yeah, that was the big news. I think that I don't know if that just came out today, but I mean, I was all ready to back Monster in the spot. Uh, I mean, he he looked good. Uh, you know, is finally getting the offense going, and um, you know, now that Chase Garber's is back, I just don't know if it's going to be rust or or exactly what the game plan is. So it's still kind of floating around. I want to get deeper into what Cal's going to do on offense. Uh, I definitely want to get deeper into some things that are going on with their defense. They they have been vulnerable on the ground. Uh, I want to see the status of some USC running backs uh, and how tuned in this team is considering maybe the season may be over for them. So, uh, yeah, Cal's definitely the look, but I'm going to spend a little bit more time uh, getting deep into it. Yeah, well, more of that on the Saturday morning show at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We'll tweet that out uh, at Stucky2 and at underscore Colin number one with two L's. Uh, all right, let's get to the SEC. Uh, I played Mississippi State plus 21 earlier in the week. Yeah. Uh, that's down to 17 and a half. And look, a couple things here. Some people will say, oh, Alabama's going to come out and they're going to blow out. Mississippi State, they're going to be angry. I think it's a potential letdown spot. Mississippi State was dead to me. And they look dead, and Arkansas woke them up. <laughs> and uh, that's what happens. If your season's going Tommy, south, just go play, go play Arkansas. Tommy Stevens is a walking zombie. He came back from the dead. Yep. And look, Mississippi State, what they can do is they can run the ball. Bama is vulnerable. We said this all year in the front seven, and it's played out that way. Uh, they're 97th in stuff rate, 86th in power success rate. So I think Mississippi State, mm-hmm. off of a bye, this is their Super Bowl this year. At home, the cowbell's ringing, but more importantly, so I think they're going to be able to move the ball on the ground. Uh, Alabama's going to get theirs, uh, but more importantly, Tua, I don't think he's going to play. I don't think there's any reason why they would play him. They're going to win this game. They need, you know, they just need to win out, and he's, you know, he's, he's battling an injury. He's got a pro career. Uh, they have Western Carolina on deck. The Bama yeah, schedule gets harder. More. So I don't think he plays the next two weeks, and I think that's one of the reasons why the line came down. Yeah, we got Ten Horn Weekend coming up. Uh, we're saving gets to rant and call all the media rat poison or some shit like that. So I, I will try to get as many of these charts out as we can. But you hit on the spot that I saw immediately, like my eyes got on, uh, and as the number moved and like notifications started going off, you know, I couldn't get in until it was 19. Uh, so good by you to get that number. But yeah, I'm seeing the same thing: is that Mississippi State is 20th in stuff rate offensively against an Alabama defense that is 97th in defending stuff rate. What does that mean? Oh, same thing with power success. So what does that mean? Mississippi State's going to be able to run the ball, not get touched in the backfield. They're going to be able to get to the line of scrimmage, not get touched, and they're able going to be able to gain yards. They keep the chains moving. Uh, Mississippi State's offensively 13th in line yards. That means they get the yards, but they need to in the proper down and distance, as where Alabama is 66th in defending it. We knew Alabama's defense was young. We knew that they could be pushed around. Uh, Joe Burrow threw all over them. I mean, the, the, their, their strength is their offensive weapons on the outside, and now it's up to Mac Jones to throw out into the flats, and really it's going to be, I mean, if Mississippi State's corners have any kind of ability talent whatsoever or you know i mean this could actually be a close game but at the same time i think mississippi state is definitely the play here uh way too many points for a team that actually is going to be able to run the ball and and dictate some clock um all right let's move on to florida missouri i'm getting ready to play missouri here Mm -hmm. plus seven i know that you already played it this is the missouri defense is real by the way and it's very good they get Kelly Bryant is coming back. Their leading receiver, Johnson, is going to be back. Missouri's been a different team at home. I know they haven't played great teams, but they just look a lot different at home. With Kelly Bryant back, I think this line should be closer to you know three or four. It's a horrible spot for Florida. They're not going to the college football playoff. This is a noon kick, Jefferson Pilot game. It's going to be cold. You know, Missouri is coming off just, I think, three or four straight losses with the Vanderbilt to Kentucky last week. They got shut out. Now, Bryant didn't play last week either that they're starting receiver, but they're going to be fully healthy here. Their defense is good. I think Trask will make a couple mistakes. Missouri's going to come out fired up. They've just been a different team at home. I think they pick them off. 
Yeah, go and get your seven because I think this number is going to get. I think this number is going to get whacked. I got it projected at five. Uh, everything Stuck said is true. I will point you again to the Action Network to read uh, my article that I have. The column has Missouri in it, but I mean, I mean, Missouri hasn't lost a home in thirteen months. Uh, their defense is legit. Florida is probably just trying to get into their bye week next week. They got a bye week, then they have Florida State. They probably just want to get a win here. Get out. Uh, there is a lot of factors going in here uh, in favor of Missouri and not for Florida. Yep. Um, all right. Let's also talk quickly. LSU, Ole Miss. Anything there? I played. I played I, Ole Miss plus twenty-one. I think that they are look. They can move the ball on the ground a little bit. LSU. Obviously, there's a letdown factor here, but the LSU defense. It's vulnerable. I mean, you can put up points on them. Ole Miss can't compete here. They're not losing the game, but uh, I like Ole Miss at anything over 21. 21 or over. Yeah. Yeah, and I like it at 21 and a half, which well, you can get at a couple shops right now. And I'm just kind of – can Plumlee run absolutely crazy against this LSU defense? How tired is this LSU defense? How how are they feeling after a week of celebration? You're number one. You just beat your rival after a huge drought. Same thing as Minnesota. This is one of the biggest victories in, in the program in a decade. I think there is a hangover look to this. The game is at night, so maybe LSU isn't as you know caught off guard as it would be at a 11 a.m. local kit kind of game. Uh, I am very much intrigued about Mississippi State's quarterback. The Plum Lee kid has been impossible to catch on the ground, uh, and you know LSU is. I don't know. We're going to have to see. I'm going to get deeper into it, but there could be an Ole Miss play here. All right. right, Before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. We'll have articles up on both Friday night games. Uh, I'll give a nugget for La Tech Marshall here and just say, look, La Tech, who's on a roll, they haven't played anybody. I, you know, if you look at uh, adjusted opponents on the offensive side, they have the easiest schedule in the country so far. I mean, go look at who they've played. It's been an absolute joke. Uh, I got this a two and a half. Yeah, this is a short week. They've had exams. They're leaving on Thursday. They've had six days to prepare. Marshall's off of a bye. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. They'll control the line of scrimmage. Uh, I think Marshall gets the job done here. And this could be a preview yeah. of the championship at the Conference USA. I think this is my money line partner with Iowa here on Marshall. You know, we'll have our Friday previews out. Louisiana Tech strength of schedules in play. Uh, there's a lot of things Marshall has advantage of in the in, in the advanced stats. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll have something on Fresno San Diego State as well, which yeah, could be interesting. Could come to the special teams where San Diego State has the edge, but it's really just ugly offense for San Diego State against an ugly Fresno State defense and then, you know, a pretty good Fresno State offense against a really good San Diego State defense, which what gives maybe it's special teams where San Diego State's much better. Um, all right, let's yep. go to second down here. Uh, our favorite overdog, which uh, you already know mine, Northwestern, Fade UMass. <laughs> and yours? Utah minus 21. Try to get it before that hook comes. All right, and then time for our underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. I saw that you wrote down Missouri. I couldn't believe it. Yes. That was mine. I'm taking gotta- Georgia Tech. Just smells right. Thanks for listening. Colin, thanks for joining me. Yeah, rate, review, subscribe. You know, you know the drill. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. We appreciate you listening. Voicemails are open all during the week. Call in, scream, yell. But good luck and thanks for listening. Cheers. Peace out. Thank you.